Thank you, men. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. John, chapter 3, and your Bibles here this morning. I do encourage you to be back with us at 1 o'clock. We'll be finishing up our, uh, we're looking at personalities in Proverbs, and we are, we'll wrap up our study on the, the personality who's a slothful individual or a sluggard. And we've looked at the characteristics of a slothful man or woman or a sluggard and what the Bible has to say about it this afternoon. We'll wrap it up and we're going to make some applications. So if uh, you're a parent, are your children sluggardly? And, and how do you deal with that? How do you respond to that? Or maybe you have, uh, maybe you're dating somebody. And uh, they have a hard time, just have a hard time getting out of bed and doing what they're supposed to do. What should you do if you're married to someone like that? And uh, just some real practical truths we'll look at uh, this afternoon. You're going to miss it if you're not here, okay? So I'd encourage you to be here 1 o'clock, and we'll be done by 2. And, of course, they're going to award the winners of the, of the, not chili cook-off, the stew cook-off, right? Yeah, stew cook-off. So we'll see who who wins that. Pastor Scott's got some wonderful prizes. He's pretty pleased with those prizes. Last night, I had the privilege of preaching over in Davison, Michigan, at a wild game dinner, and uh, there were a lot of unsafe folks there at that, at that meal. I had the privilege of preaching. The meal was, was interesting. It was good. It was good. It was all wild things, okay, that we were eating. There was not a vegetable there, okay, not a single vegetable there, unless you count cheesy potatoes as a vegetable, which I don't think you can do that. Uh, but anyway, uh, let's see here. I ate a camel meatball last night, and I wanted to know who shot this camel and where. That's what I wanted to know. And the, the, the challenge with camel meatballs is just hard to get over the hump, you know, when, when eating them. It's just hard. <laughs> Truly, as I was preaching later that night, I kept burping camel meatball. It was terrible. It was terrible. Cindy would tell you, normally, when I'm going to preach, I don't eat a lot right before. In fact, I won't normally eat for a couple hours sometimes before I speak. And, uh, but I had to eat. And I went down the line. They said, speaker, we want the speaker to go first. And I had this big, massive plate, and everybody just, I ate beaver and camel. Did I already mention camel? I ate camel. And uh, so the Detroit Zoo is down one camel, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I never thought I'd eat a camel. I don't, you ought to try it. If I should have to do it, you should have to do it. That's what I say. <clears throat> All right, you're in John chapter 3. Um, well, as we came to the end of John chapter 2, you might have noticed we were briefly inter- introduced to an interesting group of people at the end of John chapter 2. And we were told in verse 23 of John chapter 2, we were told that there were many who believed on his name. Now, when we read something like that, we might at first think that's a wonderful thing. That's a reason to rejoice. Many believed on Jesus' name. But the question is, why did they believe on his name? Why did these people believe in the name of Jesus Christ? Look back to John 2, verse 23. It says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. So many people believed on his name because they saw the miracles that he did. Did they believe because they knew that Jesus Christ was going to someday die for them on a cross and rise again? No. Did they believe on his name because they knew they were lost sinners deserving death and hell for all of eternity? 
believing that Jesus was the only person who could save them from their sin? No. Did they believe because they loved Jesus and they wanted to follow him with all of their hearts? The answer again is no. They believed on his name because they saw the miracles that he did. They were impressed by him. He was intriguing. He was amazing. He could do things that nobody else could do. And they followed him. They believed upon him because they saw what he could do. He was intriguing to them. Amazing. Impressive. You know, if you went and, and, and heard Jesus talk and you heard, saw him do miracles, they gave you something to talk about when you went home at the dinner table. You could t- tell all your friends about it. In fact, you could probably get your own gathering talking about the things that Jesus did. And this is why they believed on him. It's interesting to me, though, that Jesus wasn't thrilled that they believed upon him. In fact, he doesn't say, well, hey, this is wonderful. Look at all of these new followers I have. In fact, the opposite is actually true. Look at verse 24, because it says that Jesus did not commit himself unto them. And the word believe in verse 23, pistuo, is the same word, pistuo, that's translated as commit in verse 24. And so they had some measure of faith in him because they saw the miracles that he did, the wonders that he accomplished, But he didn't have very much faith in them. Jesus knew that they were not to be depended upon, that he could not depend upon them. And I should ask the question this morning, can God depend upon you? Can God depend upon you? Now, God doesn't expect perfection from you and me. He knows us, okay? But, But... Are we truly believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? And that is a good question for all of us to ask here this morning. You see, Jesus knew all about Nathanael. You remember in in John chapter 1, he came, he saw Nathanael coming, and and you remember he said, "Here's here's a man in whom is no guile. What you see is what you get. He's not hiding anything. And the same is true when Jesus looked at these people. The verse 24 tells us that he knew all men. He, he knew them. He knew their hearts. And you know, when Jesus looks at our hearts today, he knows our hearts as well. He knew all men. In verse 25, it tells us that he knew what was in man. He knew that these people, he knew them through and through, and he knew that their hearts were not right in God's sight. And even though they had a measure of faith, They didn't have the kind of faith that pleased God. They were not born again. Now, many of them will follow him for a time. They watch, they want to be impressed. Hey, feed the 5,000, free lunch. Do some miracles, heal people, make blind people see. And it's impressive, It's, it's exciting to be around, but their faith was not placed firmly in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we come to John chapter 3, and we're actually introduced to one of these people that are mentioned at the end of verse chapter 2. Chapter 2, they're mentioned, and one of these guys, we get to know him a little bit here in chapter 3, we're introduced to a man who believed in Christ because of the miracles that he saw. And uh, 
you can see it there in, in verse 2 of chapter 3. He says, The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And we're going to get introduced to this man. This man was a very religious man, but he was religious, but he was not saved. You know, it's possible for someone to be to come to Trinity Baptist Church, be religious, have standards and rules and things that we live by. It's possible for a person to know about God, but not be saved. And that was Nicodemus. You see, Nicodemus was a believer in miracles, but Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Let's look at our text, John chapter 3. I'll begin reading in verse number 1. I'll read down through verse 15. Look there with me, verse 1. It says, There was a man of, of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? <laughs> Good question. And notice what Nicodemus was thinking. He says, Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh, Jesus said, is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit, or we could say spiritual. Verse 7, Marvel not that I said unto thee, Jesus continues, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. You hear what the wind does, but canst not tell whence it cometh, where it comes from, or whither it goeth, where it's going. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, this religious, educated man says to Jesus, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master, a teacher of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen. We give testimony of the things that we've seen, and ye receive not our witness. And Jesus says in verse 12, If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Verse 13, And no man, Jesus says, hath ascended up to heaven, that he had, uh, but he that uh, came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, notice this statement, Jesus says, which is in heaven. Verse 14, Jesus continues, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, help us, I pray, as we look at your word today. Father, you sent your only Son to die on a cross to take our place, to pay our sin debt that we owed, so that we could have eternal life and the forgiveness of sin and your righteousness. Father, I pray this morning as your word, as we look at it and consider it, and we hear it, 
Father, I pray for some in this room who may believe that they're saved, but they are not born again. Father, help us to see the difference. And Father, I pray that you would save those who need to be saved. I pray. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I want to make four observations from our text this morning, the time that we have. First observation I notice in the first three verses, and it is this. It is, it is possible to be religious, but not saved. It's possible to be religious, but not saved. You, you come to Trinity Baptist Church because, for probably a lot of reasons, um, probably at the heart of why you're here, is doctrine, what's taught. Um, you may like what's taught or the way it's taught. Maybe you like the, uh, the facilities. Maybe you attend a church like Trinity because it has Baptist in the name. But it's possible to be in agreement with a doctrinal statement intellectually and to even enjoy the camaraderie of people, good people, who love you and who you can love It's possible to go through the motions of prayer. It's possible to hear sermons. It's possible to give money. It's possible to be a kind and generous person and not be born again. Look again at verse number one. He says, there was a man of the Pharisees. Now, when we we think of Pharisees, we automatically have a negative connotation in our minds, but the Pharisees really were a conservative group of the Sanhedrin. A man named Nicodemus, he was a ruler of the Jews. This man comes to Jesus by night. Seems to indicate that he didn't necessarily want to be seen with Jesus. He was impressed by him. He was amazed by him. He thought that Jesus came from God. We see that, and Nicodemus says that to Jesus. He was amazed by him, but uh, he comes to Jesus by night. He says, Rabbi, which means uh, teacher, A rabbi often was a teacher. We know that thou art a teacher, come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus answers Nicodemus in verse 3 and says unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's possible to be religious and not go to heaven. It's possible to be religious and never see the kingdom of God. I can remember years ago, before I began pastoring at Trinity, about seven years ago, Cindy and I traveled for about seven years in evangelism, and I would preach in different churches. And uh, we, we were, I was preaching at a church in Connecticut, and uh, the pastor there was Pastor Peters. He'd been pastoring there about 20 years. Uh, if my memory is right, he was probably, he was probably in his uh, early 50s or late 40s. His daughters, I think, were going to college at the time. And his wife and he had graduated from a Bible college before he became a pastor and had pastored there for about 20 years. It was a Baptist church. And I can remember that week of meetings and the Word of God was preached and taught. We had a good week of meetings. And a couple years later, we came back to that particular church in Connecticut to hold another week of meetings. At the beginning of that week of meetings, Mrs. Peters, the pastor's wife, gave a testimony in front of the entire church. Her testimony, and I, won't, I can't quote her verbatim, but her testimony was this. 
that for 20 years she had gone through the motions of being a Christ follower. And that two years earlier when the word of God had been preached, it finally dawned on her that she had never trusted Jesus Christ alone for her salvation. And that she was actually trying to work her way to heaven along with trusting Christ. Now, I don't remember. She never walked an aisle that week of meetings. She never uh, raised her hand or gave any indication of what was going on in her heart. But two years later, she gave testimony that this woman, a pastor's wife of a Baptist church in Connecticut, had lived most of her life raised in a Christian home, gone to Bible college, a pastor's wife for about 20 years, and yet she had never been born again. She wasn't alive spiritually. She was dead spiritually. And I want you to know something right up front as we look at Nicodemus' life and we examine this man and where he was at here this morning. It's possible for you and for me to be religious, to say, oh, I believe that. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that he died for the sins of all the world. It's possible for us to be impressed by even Christianity or a church or the people that make up the church, but it's possible to be religious and not to be saved. Look at verse number one. You see that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a very religious person. He would have prayed regularly. He would have read the Bible, the Old Testament. He'd have tried to be keeping the law, the Ten Commandments, and more. Nicodemus was not only a Pharisee, he was also a ruler. You see that in verse 1, a ruler of the Jews. He wasn't just a regular Jew. He was a leader of Jews. Nicodemus was a member of the highest ruling body uh, within the nation of Israel, which was called the Sanhedrin in those days. And John talks about that in chapter 7. Nicodemus held a position among the religious and the political elite of his day. He would have been respected, well-respected by those who were very religious. Other people would have been impressed with him. Nicodemus, we see in verse number 10, look there in verse 10, Nicodemus was also a teacher. Jesus actually says, you're a teacher of the law and you don't, you don't know what, what we're talking about? If anybody should have had the answers, it should have been Nicodemus, but even though he taught others, Nicodemus didn't understand the gospel. He didn't understand the Messiah. He didn't understand who Jesus was. And he believed in Jesus as a good man, as a teacher, as a, a man who had God's power upon him. But there was something that Nicodemus didn't have, and that was life. Spiritual life. Look at verse number 2. Again, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. No, even, even though Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a religious man, and a ruler, a leader of people, even though he was a teacher, Nicodemus was unsaved. He did not have eternal life, and he was in danger of being held accountable for his sins and his trespasses. He was in danger of eternal separation from God in a place called hell. And Nicodemus had many things, more, I think, more things than most people have. But he didn't have the most important thing. Nicodemus wasn't saved. He didn't have eternal life. He didn't have the forgiveness of his sins And Jesus' message to Nicodemus is very clear. Look at verse number 3. 
Jesus says to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless a person is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, there is only one way to get to enter into the kingdom of God. And what is it? He must be born again. You have to be born again. And so that brings me to the second observation in our passage. Number one, it is impossible to be religious, but not... It's possible to be religious, but not saved. Number two, to be born again is spiritual birth. Spiritual birth. What does it mean to be born again? That's the question. Look at verses 4, 5, and 6. Nicodemus saith unto Jesus, How can a man be born, uh, born when he is old? <laughs> Good question, right? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? I mean, this... This conversation is happening between a religious man, a very religious man, a very intellectual, an intelligent man, and Jesus at nighttime. And he asks this question. In verse 5, Jesus answers him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. To be born again is spiritual birth. What what does a person need to do to get to heaven? That's the question. And that's what Jesus, that's where Jesus takes Nicodemus in this conversation. What do you have to do, Nicodemus, to enter the kingdom of God? And, And Nicodemus, as a Jew, would have understood this, not in light of the New Testament. He would have understood it in light of the Old Testament. What does a person need to do to to enter the kingdom of God? Well, how about education? Is that enough? What if we all had a, a good, thorough Christian education? Would that, would that be enough for us to go to heaven? No. How about money? What if we have more money and we give more money and we're good with money? Is that enough? Or, or maybe a higher rank, a higher position in life, a, a better reputation. Is that enough for you and for me to enter into the kingdom of God? And the answer, of course, is no. The one and only thing that every individual needs in order to go to heaven is a new birth. A new birth. Now, I don't know, there's no newborns in the room here this morning. But the only way for, for anybody to go to heaven is to be born again. A new birth. Now, everybody in this room has been born one time. I know that because you're here. You've been born one time. You don't remember that. One of my children, one time, they were asking questions about when they were born. And I was sharing some things about when they were born. And, uh, and one of them said, I remember that. I said, no, you don't. No, you don't. So we don't remember being born physically, but we've been born physically. We're here, right? See, those who have not been born again will never see God's kingdom. And you see that at the end of verse number 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is, frankly, very confused by this. And you see this in verse number 4. In verse 4, Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? I can't be born again, is what Nicodemus is saying. Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? It's not possible. Right? It's not possible. And he automatically assumes that Jesus was referring to a physical being born again physically. Look at Jesus' answer in verse 5 and following. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water, and that certainly can be a reference to physical birth, and of the Spirit, 
That would be spiritual birth. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You know, Jesus made it very clear. He wasn't talking to Nicodemus about physical being born again. He was talking to this man, Nicodemus, about spiritual birth, not physical. And every one of us in this room, we've all been born physically into this world, but to enter the kingdom of God, we need to be born spiritually into the family of God. What did Jesus mean in verse 5 when he said, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God? You know, some people teach that to be saved, a person needs to be baptized in water. I want you to know that is heresy. That is not what the Bible teaches. That is false teaching. That is a form of works salvation. Nobody has ever been saved by getting baptized, immersed in water, not in a church baptismal tank, not in a pond or a lake, or in the bathtub at home. No one has ever been saved by being baptized in water. Last night, I preached out of Luke chapter 23, and as I was preaching, come on words, as I was preaching last night, um, I was reading Luke chapter 23, there are two thieves on, the, on a cross on either side of Jesus Christ. One does not believe upon Lord Jesus Christ, and he goes to hell. The other individual on the other side, the other thief, believes upon Christ, and that very day he's with Jesus Christ in paradise. That thief on the cross that got saved that day never had a chance to be baptized in water. And if water baptism was necessary for a person to be saved from death and hell, then there's no way Jesus could have looked at that thief and said to him, this day shall ye be with me in paradise. Okay, so, and I'll tell you right now, there are some Baptist churches, not a lot of them, but there are some Baptist churches that teach that for you to be saved, you have to be baptized in water. That is wrong teaching. It is false teaching. See, water baptism is very important, but water baptism does not save anybody. Water baptism is not something that someone does to be saved. It's something that a saved person does. And Jesus wasn't talking about physical water that only cleanses on the outside. He was talking about a spiritual cleansing. He was looking at this man, Nicodemus, and he was saying, you need to be born again. You need to be cleansed spiritually on the inside. Not just on the outside. We as people are so consumed with the exterior. We are. And we ought to care about the exterior. But there's a lot more to us than what is on the outside. And God looks on the inward appearance. It's true, man looks on the outward, but God looks on both. He looks on the inward and the outward. And so what do we need to, be, what do, we need to do to be cleansed on the outside? Well, we use soap and water, don't we? In fact, uh, even this morning... You know, water is something, it, it kind of symbolizes cleansing. We, do, we clean a lot of things with water. We wash the vehicle with water. Of course, add some soap to that. Um, we, we know, we, in the shower or bathtub, there's, there's soap and there's water, shampoo and water. Water is a part of cleansing, isn't it? This morning, uh, one of my children was upstairs, and, and there was a bit of a ruckus uh, in the upstairs. And uh, one of the uh, children had brushed their teeth, but it wasn't up to par as far as the other kids were concerned. And they were saying, he hasn't brushed his teeth. And he was responding in the flesh, 
almost in tears, I did too. Okay, well, it turns out he did, but he didn't use toothpaste. All right, but even if you're going to brush your teeth, you have your toothpaste, but you still use water, right? It's just a part of what we do. Water symbolizes cleansing. So I don't know what your mornings are are like on Sunday, but ours are all kinds of things. We have a great time getting ready for church. And the point is this, no unclean person can enter the kingdom of God. Now, if you don't get anything else, get that. No unclean person on the inside can enter into the kingdom of God. It's impossible. And this is what Jesus is driving at. In fact, God says that no unclean person has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Hold your place in John 3 and look with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 in your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 5, and I'll read beginning in verse 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 5, I'll read down through verse 10. Look with me there, Ephesians 5 verse 5. The Bible says this, For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. In other words, don't let anybody tell you any different. For because of these things, the things I just read to you in verse 5, because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye, therefore, partakers with them. Those of you who are saved, who have been cleansed on the inward parts, don't partake with those who haven't been cleansed on the inward parts. That's what he's saying. For ye were sometimes darkness. There was a time in your life when you were in darkness. You were darkness. You did partake. You were unclean. But now are ye light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. Now notice what he he tells us in verse 9 about some evidences of those who have been clean. Verse 9, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. You see, what is unacceptable to God is uncleanness, sinfulness. What is acceptable to God is that which He has cleansed and that which He produces. Uh, before you turn back to before you turn back to John, look over if you would to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. While you're turning there, Galatians 5:21 says this, envyings, which means jealousy or spite. And in fact, envyings has the idea of extreme irritation with intent to make someone pay for what they're doing. Are you, have you, ever, are you ever irritated with somebody? No? Okay, yes. Uh, yes, you are. You have been. You sometimes are. Well, he says this, envyings, murderers, drunkenness, revelings, which has the idea of a wild partying, Looks so fun, right, on the commercial. But it's not. 
And listen to this, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have told, also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. This is serious. Nicodemus is being told by the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to be cleansed, you need to be born again, you need to be cleansed by the water and the Spirit of God so that you can be clean on the inside so you can enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is saying, what, i got to be born of my mom again? Jesus is saying, no, you don't have to be born of your mom again, but you need to be born of the Spirit. You need to be made clean. I ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians 6. We're going to look at verse 9. But the truth is this, to enter into God's kingdom, every person must be clean and washed on the inside. Sins have to be forgiven by God. And no unclean person will enter the kingdom of God. Only sinners who have been cleansed by the Holy Spirit will be allowed to enter into heaven. 1 Corinthians, you're there, verse number 9 in chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, I'll read down through verse 11. He says to this church, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Don't believe anything else. He says, believe what I'm telling you. Neither fornicators, that's premarital sex, or um, and amongst a sundry of other things, pornography is where we get our, word, our English word fornicator from. Um, porneia is the Greek word, fornicator. Nor idolaters, that's covetousness. Nor adulterers, that's sex outside of marriage. Nor effeminate, that is a form of male homosexuality where the older man preys on a young boy. That's where that word effeminate comes from. Nor abusers of themselves with mankind, that is homosexuality. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, which has the idea of a sharp tongue, gossiping, sowing discord, undermining authority. Revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. You can turn back to John chapter 3. And again, the point is, to enter into God's kingdom, every person must be clean on the inside. We have to be cleansed. Now, whenever you think of John chapter 3 and verse 5, you should also think of Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. Look again at John chapter 3 and verse number 5. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, it says this about our salvation. It says, Not by works of righteousness, not by good works, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration. That's washing. That's water. And renewing of the Holy Ghost. That's by the Holy Spirit. And so every person who has been born again has been thoroughly cleansed and renewed or made alive by the Spirit of God. Now think with me here, and you're in John 3, but in John 3 and verse 5, he says, born of water and of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 11, we read this passage. He says, ye are washed, you're cleansed, you're made clean by the Spirit. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, he says, the washing of regeneration, that's water, and the renewing of the Spirit, that's the Holy, the Holy Spirit. 
And all of these are teaching about the wonderful cleansing work that the Holy Spirit does on the inside of a person when that person receives Christ as their personal Savior. Now, every one of us still, here still has ungodly, wicked flesh, don't we? And that's why that's going to have to be put off and can't enter into the kingdom of God, because it's defiled. But Nicodemus is being told by Jesus, you need to be cleansed on the inside by the Spirit of God. Nicodemus, you're a religious man. I understand, Nicodemus, that you're more conservative than most people in Jerusalem. Nicodemus, I understand that you're a religious man. You know a lot about the Old Testament. Nicodemus, I understand that you believe in God. I understand that you believe that he is the creator of the ends of the earth, Nicodemus. I understand you're a leader of people religiously. And I understand that you're a teacher of the word of God. But Nicodemus, you have never been cleansed on the inside. You're not clean on the inside. And by the way, uh, it, is a, it would be a miserable life and, and a disappointment upon all disappointments for a person to try to live a life that pleases God, a very religious person, maybe a very disciplined person, maybe a person that's very respectable, but a person who has never been truly cleansed by the Holy Spirit of God on the inside. And I'm asking you this morning, as Jesus talked to Nicodemus, I'm asking you, have you ever been born again of the Spirit of God? And there are so many people in this room that I love so very dearly and so many people in this room that I respect at a very high level. But friend, whether I respect you or not does not determine whether you get to go to heaven or not. Whether I love you or not does not determine whether or not you enter the kingdom of God or not. You, just as me, and just as Nicodemus, we all need to be born again. In Ephesians, it talks about a washing by the word. We've already seen how the Spirit of God cleanses us. Every person has to be born again and thoroughly cleansed by the Spirit of God. But I also notice that there needs to be a cleansing by the word of God. In fact, I'll go so far as to say this, without the word of God, a person could never be saved. Without the word of God, it, it would be impossible for a person to be saved. That is how important the Word of God is. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, the Bible says, "...being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever." In James chapter 1, and verse 18, the Bible says, "...of His own will begat He us. He gave birth to us with the Word of truth." that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You see, the word of God cleanses us. In Psalm 119, in verse 9, the Bible says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How can a young man be clean? And it says, By taking heed thereto according to thy word. In John chapter 15, in verse 3, Jesus said, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. You see, without the word of God, it would be impossible to be clean. You know, really, God's Word, I think, accomplishes two primary purposes. One, the Word of God shows us what kind of sinners we are. It does. It shows us. When we look at the mirror of the Word of God and we see ourselves in the mirror of the Word of God, sometimes we are so ashamed. We just don't measure up. 
to the holiness of God. And God's Word reveals His holiness. And that really is the second purpose, I think, for the Word of God. The Word of God shows not only what kind of sinners we are, but it shows us how great a Savior God is. So, if a person is cleansed and born again by the Spirit of God and His Word, if we're cleansed to our core, through and through, by the Word of God and the Spirit of God, how is a person not born again? Well, look back in in John chapter 1 and verse 13. John chapter 1 and verse 13. In John chapter 1 and verse 13, you're just a couple pages away, it says, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So how is a person not born again, according to verse 13? Well, a person is not born again by their bloodline. Now, between parents and children, there are a lot of things, there are a lot of similarities, right? Sometimes I look at my children and I think to myself, well, the church will know me better if they just hang around my kids. Just hang around them for a while, and you'll know me through and through. And of course, all the negative qualities are my, come from me, and all the positive qualities come from Cindy, of course. You, you should know that. How is a person not born again? Well, not of blood. Now, there are many things that we as, ch- as parents can give our children, right? Color of eyes, color of hair, facial features, body size. But there's one thing that parents can never give to their children. We can't just pass it on through our genes to our children, and that's a new birth, being born again. I can't pass that on to my kids. All of my children, all four of them, as wonderful as I think they are, as much as I adore them, all of them were born into this world separated from God. They were spiritually dead. They were needing to be born again. I, we, we could give our children their first birth, but we could not give our children their second birth. Christian parents don't give birth to Christian babies. And we knew that from the start. There's something else in verse 13 of chapter 1 that a person is not born again by, and that is the will of the flesh. What does that mean? Well, that's called man's efforts. Man's best go. The best we can put out. A man is not born again by the will of the flesh. Uh, All of mankind's efforts will never make him a child of God. Look at verse number 6. Hold your place in chapter 1, but in chapter 3, verse 6. Look there. Uh, Jesus says this, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. It's fleshly. And that which is born of the Spirit is spiritual. So what our flesh produces is fleshliness, rebellion against God, disobedience, unkindness, selfishness. Or self-righteousness, pride, arrogance, and the list goes on and on and on, what our flesh produces. And Jesus says, that which is born of the flesh is simply flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is spiritual, clean. So no matter how much a person may desire to change, it's impossible for a person to change themselves into holiness, which is the glory of God. It's impossible for that person to arrive at that position. There's a third truth in verse number 13 of John chapter 1. How is a person not born again? Well, not by their bloodline, not by their efforts. And number three, you see in in verse 13, 
uh, nor of the will of man. In, in, the early, in the early years of the church, it didn't take long for persecution to be, begin to come down upon the church, and especially in the Roman provinces. Diocletian was one of the worst persecutors of the church. The church, churches used to meet in the catacombs under the city streets in Rome. And, and oftentimes the catacombs beneath the city streets of Rome were used as the burial grounds. And that's where the church would meet. Can you imagine meeting there? I don't know that I'd, I'd much rather have this building. But they met there. Do you know why? Because it was illegal to be a Christian. It was, an, it was illegal to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And they outlawed it. And if you were caught as a part of a church, many, many believers were persecuted. Sometimes they would feed them to wild beasts in the arenas, and people would come to watch them be eaten alive by wild beasts. Sometimes it would just be a matter of them losing their business or maybe being imprisoned, the dad or the mom, or sometimes the children serving in slavery as a result of mom and dad being a worshiper of the Lord Jesus Christ. History records how some of the Christians were literally impaled on spikes and the spikes driven into the ground, and they were coated in some sort of tar or oil and lit on fire to light the roads of the Roman emperor. And this lasted for many, many, many years. In around 300 AD, a new Roman emperor took the scene, a man by the name of Constantine. And Constantine had a vision uh, in one of his conquests, and his vision, supposedly, he saw a cross in the sky, And he thought he heard a voice that said, in this sign, conquer. And so many of the Roman shields, they put a cross on the shields. And Constantine claimed to have converted to Christianity. Now, when the emperor, who appoints people and gives people positions of authority and prominence, when he converts to Christianity, what do you do if you want anything? You follow Christ too, right? Or at least you say that you do. Now, personally, I don't think Constantine was born again, okay? I don't know what he saw that day. I personally don't think he was saved. But he popularized Christianity. And people went from meeting in the catacombs to now it became, if you wanted to be a political success in Rome, you actually actually had to be a Christian. Uh, You actually had to wear certain things. You had to do certain things. You had to say certain things. And so now, if they went from meeting in the catacombs to now they're building these big, huge, ornate buildings, and they called them churches. And the church at Rome ultimately continues and is born out of that. But you know, Constantine, while he made Christianity popular, he made it the official religion of an empire, and he wanted all of his subjects to be called Christians, did it make them Christians? No. Why? Because being born again is not of the will of man. It's not something that we say, you know what, I think it's going to be politically expedient or financially expedient for me to be called a Christian. Or I want to be a part of that circle. I want to be friends with those people. And so you know what, I'm going to call myself a Christian. That's not how a person is born again. Not by the will of the flesh. You know, the king can't make a person a Christian The president can't make a person a Christian. A priest can't make a person a Christian. Uh, The Pope can't make a person a Christian or take away someone's salvation. A person has to be born again. They have to be cleansed on the inside 
by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God. Now look in, back in chapter 3 and verse 7. I want you to notice something here in verses 7 and 8. We've seen that it's, it's possible to be religious but not saved. It's possible to be religious and not saved. It, it, to be born again, secondly, we saw to be born again is spiritual birth, spiritual cleansing. Number three, there needs to be evidence of a new birth. If a person is truly born again, there should be evidence. Look at verses 7 and 8 in chapter 3. He says, Jesus speaking to, to Nicodemus, he says, Marvel not, don't be amazed at what I'm saying. Ye must be born again. And then in verse 8 he says, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh. You don't know where it comes from. You hear it, but you can't see it, and you don't know where it's going. And then he says, So is every one that is born of the Spirit. And my question to you is, for those of us in this room who would say, I'm a Christian, how many of us could say there's evidence in our lives that we're a Christian? Is there any evidence? Jesus says, you can't see the wind, but you can see what the wind does. It's been windy lately, hadn't it? I was in my house the other day. I don't like when it blows. It can rain. It can thunder. Lightning can be striking. I don't, that doesn't bother me. Blizzards can come and go, but you know what? When the wind blows, it wakes me up in the middle of the night. I just don't like that. And, and our room is on the west end of the house. You know. Wind can damage. Wind can be powerful. And the Holy Spirit of God is likened to wind in the Word of God. But is there evidence in your life that you have been born again? Because if a man has been born of the Spirit, there should be evidence. In other words, he should be spiritual. There ought to be something different about him if he's truly a born-again child of God. And like the wind, we don't see the Spirit, but we definitely see what the Spirit of God has done. Take your Bibles, turn over to Galatians chapter 5, because I want to look at some evidences of what the Spirit does. And you, and you should ask yourself the question, and be able to answer the question this morning, am I truly a child of God? Am I truly saved? Because it's not enough to be religious. Galatians chapter 5 is where you're turning. Jesus is telling Nicodemus there ought to be some evidence. You see, if a person's been born of the Spirit, there ought to be some evidence. There ought to be some fruit. And in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, Paul describes evidence of the Spirit of God. Look there, Galatians 5 and verse 22. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, sacrificial love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, that's strength under control, temperance, that's self-discipline, actually. And he says, against such there is no law. You see, the fruit of the Spirit is a result of not only being born again by the Spirit, but also of walking in the Spirit. You're still in Galatians. Look back to chapter 5 there in verse 16. Paul writes, and he says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Look down to verse 25 of chapter 5. He says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. 
So if the fruit of the Spirit isn't evident in your life, if there isn't love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness, goodness and meekness and kindness, either you haven't been born again or you're walking in the flesh and not the Spirit. There's another evidence and you can turn back to John chapter 3. There's another evidence as you turn to John 3. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 14, the Bible says, We know that we have passed from death unto life. Did you hear me? We know that we've passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. If you have no love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, you're either completely walking in the flesh or you have never been born of the Spirit of God. Now, he didn't say you always have to agree with each other, or that you always see eye to eye, because when we walk in the flesh, we don't always agree, and we don't see eye to eye, and we may differ on some things here and there, but do you have a, in, your depths of your, in the depths of your soul, do you have a love for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you have a desire to get to know one another? When you, when you hear Pastor Burden uh, give a plea for donations uh, of blood and platelets, and you hear of a brother in Christ who has leukemia and, and, and they're running short on those kind of supplies, is there anything in your heart that just hurts and aches for Mrs. Norell and for her husband? And when you see a brother or sister in Christ struggling or falling or going through times of discouragement, do you find your heart drawn out to encourage them? And if you don't know them at all, you find yourself praying for them and burdened for them. You see, one of two things is, if, if that isn't there, one of two things are the case. Either you're just walking in the flesh and you're disobeying the Spirit of God, you're living in rebellion to God, or you've never been born again. Now, this is serious. This is serious. And every single one of us in this auditorium ought to take inventory of our lives, of where we are at at this point in our lives. Look at verse number 9 of our text. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? He didn't understand it. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master, a teacher of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, who is in heaven. Now, Jesus makes this statement, the Son of Man, which is in heaven, to Nicodemus. Jesus says this to Nicodemus. Now, where was this conversation taking place? Anybody know? Jerusalem. In the dark. In the night. Jesus and Nicodemus. The Son of Man, also known as the Son of God, is Jesus. And Jesus looks at Nicodemus and he says, You're not believing what I'm telling you. And he says, not only have I been to heaven, but I'm there right now. Okay, I can tell you, I'm not there right now. I'm finite. I'm very limited. I'm a man. I'm in one place and one place only and can think of probably only one or two things at the same time. Some of you can do better at multitasking than me. But you know what? Jesus was not only in Jerusalem having a conversation with Nicodemus, but he was also in heaven with the Father at the very same time. That's an amazing statement that only God could make. You know, I'm going to stop there this morning. 
because I don't want to shortchange you on this next part, but I want to read it to you. Verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And Jesus would be lifted up on a cross, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The Bible says this in 1 John, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You may be a very religious person, but if you do not have Jesus Christ, you do not have everlasting life. You do not have it. And the Bible would tell you that you are spiritually dead and you are separated from God. In Jesus' words, he must be born again. You need to be made clean by the Holy Spirit of God. And he is the only one who can do that. With every head bowed and